The Fanboy, episode 91. everybody, Mario Francisco Robles, MFR here with you, and this is episode 91 of the Fanboy Podcast. How's everybody doing out there? Uh, sorry I'm a little late with episode 91. For those of you who don't follow me over on the Twitter, or if you don't just if you don't do the Twitter thing, you may have missed the fact that over the course of the last week or so, I've been dealing with a bit of a family emergency. Uh, my abuela was in the hospital for six days, and there was, you know, there were some trials and tribulations there, but the good news is She's home now. I visited yesterday and made her a big pot of soup for her and my mom. And, uh, you know, she's on the mend. But it kind of wreaked havoc with my schedule and my general headspace for the last week or so. So I, you know, I initially had to delay episode 91 from Friday to Monday. And then I ended up just kind of having to scrap it entirely as uh, <clears throat> I call her Tata. As Tata's stay in the hospital continued to get extended and the strain on the family was getting stronger and stronger and I had to show up more, I ended up just having to cancel Monday's show. I hope you guys understand that, but, you know, stuff comes up. But you know what they say, better late than ever. Episode 91 is here. There is much to discuss. Uh, I'd like to open, as I usually do, whenever there's some new reviews to share. I'm going to read you these reviews, and then we're going to get into <clears throat> the topics that I know you guys are dying to hear about. But I got I to gotta acknowledge these reviews, because remember, folks, five-star reviews are one of the best ways you can show how, you, how much you enjoy this podcast, and it's also the best way to help attract new listeners and new viewers because, you know, listen, we're all susceptible to word of mouth, right? We're all susceptible to hearing, hey, I heard this awesome thing. So if you're enjoying something, go let people know that you are loving it, all right? But okay, so the podcast, <laughs> the title, I love it, The Podcast Fans Need. This comes from uh, Apple user Gabe O's. Gabe wrote, I listen to a lot of really great podcasts about geeky things, but this is the only show where I truly have to listen to every show. Mario can blend reporting, analysis, and reflection in a single episode seamlessly. I'm a big DC, especially Batman fan, and listening to this podcast over the last year or so has been incredibly rewarding, especially considering how uncertain things have been with that particular brand for a while. Though while there's a lot of DC talk, it isn't all DC. Mario gives perspectives on a variety of properties like Marvel, Star Wars, and many others. Mario really knows how to break down the complexities and nuances of show business. The best part of the show has actually been moments when Mario drops some spontaneous, spontaneous words of wisdom. This is a great podcast because the host is insightful and cares about the experience of fandom. Everything it can be, everything it should be, and everyone who wants to be a part of it. Superman would love this podcast, and I think you will too. Wow, Gabe, uh, that's—I <clears throat> mean—that's—that's—that's that's, that's an astoundingly wonderful review. So thank you so much for writing that and for saying that. And uh, yeah, I hope—I I hope Kal-El, I hope Clark would enjoy this podcast if he listens. Um, 
The other one comes from Apple user Jax Teller. I know who that is, Dr. Ross Geller. Uh, he wrote, super duper compelling, five stars. He wrote, Mario is a super passionate fellow, really compelling to watch, always entertaining, full of scoops and strong insights, highly recommended. Thank you. And by the way, can I just say, I think, I think we're best friends because everything that you share anything about on Twitter in terms of your fandoms, it's always stuff that I love too. So uh, Ross Geller or Jax Teller or whatever, you know, whatever your real name is, uh, I think we're best friends now. So uh, what are you doing tomorrow? Anyway, so thanks for those two new reviews. And now let's talk a little bit about what's going on in the world. What's going on in the world? So, you know, people love when I talk Batman and there is a little bit of Batman stuff that happened this week, right? We found out Two key things, or you know, we seem to have found out. Remember, I, I don't tend to believe anything until it's actually happening. But we supposedly found out when the thing is filming, when Matt Reeves is intending to kick off principal photography and enter that stage of the movie-making process for The Batman, which is, you know, early in the week, he said year's end. And then Production Weekly, a couple days later, said, yeah, literally, year's end, December. So it looks like the Batman will be filming in December of 2019, later on this year. And then the other one was this rumor, right? There was this rumor about the setting. There was this rumor that the Batman will be set in the 90s. Now, some of you wanted me to sort of, you know, react to this, but that's hard for me to do because I've been kind of talking about that already for the last year or so. Uh, and this is not to undercut what was reported. You know, I... I stand, you know, I, I, in other words, I agree with them. I agree with them. I've just been talking about this for a while, so it's not exactly new. You know, for me, on my end, it's always just kind of been a matter of simple mathematics, right? We've been hearing all kinds of stuff, depending on, you know, at what stage of the, uh, of the, of the writing process Reeves is at. We've heard everything from it's going to be a few years in the past from what we saw in BVS and Justice League. Then we started hearing numbers like 15 to 20 years in the past. Then that seems to have been getting shrunk down a little bit, maybe more like 10 or 15 years. But in general, this kind of general 15-year sort of thing has been in effect for a while. And if we're looking at BVS, if we're looking at Justice League, those films were set in 2015-ish. So if you're going to go back 15 to, you know, 15 to 20 years, like some of the rumors are, where does that put you? That puts you 1995 to 2000. So I've been saying for a while that, you know, this thing might take place in the late 90s. And that's why hearing this new rumor doesn't necessarily, you know, rock my world because it's just what I've been hearing for ages. And what does that mean for the story? Or what does that mean for Batman's age, right? Because we all kind of want to like, there's been so much emphasis on the ages of the actors who are supposedly in the running or the age of Army Hammer, who I still hear is our guy, by the way. So fingers crossed, we'll keep waiting on that. But while we like to focus on the ages, we got to remember, folks, the age is not going to be like d directly stated. You know what I mean? Hey, let me ask you. Did you know exactly how old Batfleck was? No. Did you know how old Christian Bale was in The Dark Knight or in The Dark Knight Returns? <laughs> the Dark Knight Returns? The Dark Knight Rises? Or even in Batman Begins? You know, it's never said, hi, Bruce, you are 29 years old today. Would you like to be Batman? You know, it's just, it's about, you have a general sense 
for the ballpark of how old he is, but you don't necessarily know the exact age. So that's why anyone, whether they're 28, whether they're 32, whether they're anywhere near there, the point is the Reeves Batman is going to be in that 30-year range. In other words, he's not going to be like a 20-year-old kid. He's not going to be a 40-year-old man man he's going to be somewhere there in the middle he's going to be around that 30 year range that's why they're you know that's why some of the actors we've heard of they're all in that sort of window most of them are lie between like 27 and 32 33 years old depending on you know uh, whose list you're looking at on a given week um and when we do that let's let, let's think about it for a second we never are told how old batfleck was but a lot of people try to go by Ben Affleck's actual age when he was making those movies. But if you recall, or if you, you know, want to take note for a second, he wasn't playing his age. Remember, they aged him up. They didn't want him to be 42-year-old or 43-year-old Ben Affleck, which is what he was at the time. They, they, they put gray on his temples. And they tried to, you know, they worked into the script, into the dialogue, this idea that he's older and grizzled and beat up. And in Justice League, he has that line with Wonder Woman where he's like, I think, you know, I'm, I'm getting too old for this already. Remember, and he's trying to take the uniform off. And, you know, they're, they're really trying to push the fact that he's older. And nowadays, I mean, a 42 or 43-year-old is not looked upon as a guy who's older. Maybe when I was a kid. But nowadays, you know, that perception is changing. A person in their early 40s is still considered to be in their prime. So, you know, he, I don't think he was 42, 43. I've always thought of the Batfleck Batman as being more like 47, 48, starting to knock on the door of being 50. That's how kind of always how I viewed it. So that's why when you say we're going back 15, 20 years, that means that we're looking at a Batman who's going to be between 32 and 27 years old. You know what I mean? So I guess I, I just kind of wanted to make that point very clear about how you know the the age of the actors being looked at relates to the age that Ben Affleck was as well as what this means for the setting now the other aspect to talk about this you know the, the other elephant in the room is the continuity right the canon that still becomes the big question the canon because everyone has all these questions about this movie they want to know is it a reboot they want to know if it's a complete you know or if it's a prequel or they want to know if it's a soft reboot, kind of like what's gone on with Aquaman and gone on with other stuff where like they kind of keep certain things but tweak the rest and they kind of, you know, so it's still connected but kind of, you know, moving in a new direction. So, you know, there's all these questions that we don't really have answers yet. And what's interesting is that I don't know that we'll have answers until, I don't know, July of 2021. Or so and the reason I say that is because and I've reported it you know they want to leave themselves some room to work here they want to give themselves some flexibility so when it comes to this movie and the canon and the continuity one of the reasons that they went to the past and separated from Justice League and separated from BVS and kind of went to a to a time before that for the Batman character for similar reason that Wonder Woman is set in the 80s. And that's why there was those rumors of Supergirl in the 70s. Which I don't know if that's going to happen, by the way. But DC is looking at these period pieces. Because if you said it in the past, you don't really have to address what the, these things that have happened in the present day. It kind of affords you the luxury of waiting to see where all the chips fall into place 
before you then decide what's what. So when it comes to Batman, I've always been told and I continue to be told that it is, it is a loose prequel. That it is technically going to be viewed as, as a younger version of what we've seen so far. But the connection will be so minute and so barely detectable that it won't even matter to this movie. It'll matter to sequels. It'll matter as they, as they, you know, from wherever they decide to go from here, that's when it'll matter. For right now, for this story that Reeves is talking about, any connections to the outside world mean nothing. So the script itself is not going to address anything about there being a Superman or a Wonder Woman in the world or a Flash in the world or anything. Obviously, it's set way before all that stuff. That's why they did it this way, to give themselves the flexibility. Lucy, you want to chime in? They can hear you walking on the mic. Hey, I'm going to bring Lucy up here. Hey, my little puppy's over here. And I just thought I'd bring her on for a little bit. For those of you watching on YouTube... This is my beautiful pup pup, Lucy. For those of you not listening, don't worry, I'm going to keep this interesting even for you on an audio level. So when it comes to the continuity, um, you know, it's just notable that we're not going to know for a while. They're not going to come out and say, this is a prequel. They're not going to come out and say, this is a reboot and forget everything else. They're going to release this movie. It's going to be a very sort of self-contained story. And then depending on how it's doing, you know, depending on how it does at the box office, depending on how fans take to it, depending on how critics take to it, depending on where the worlds of DC franchise and brand are in the summer of 2021 after that point, then they'll assess where to go from there. But for right now, the Batman is loosely kind of, you know, they're trying to make it so that it could act as a prequel or it could act as a reboot. They're giving themselves that flexibility. All right. Um, and that's just important. All right, Lucy, you're going down. Um, that's just important to keep in mind as we, you know, consider all these questions about the, the setting for the film and is this a prequel and is it in the 90s and does that mean now that everything that we see there is going to be building up to what we've seen already are they going to do the story now about the dead robin listen all these questions will continue to linger on but for right now all you need to know is that matt reeves the batman is so self-contained that it could go either way and maybe you see that as a good thing Maybe you see it as a bad thing. Personally, I kind of go back and forth on it because it's interesting. As part of this whole, you know, making the Batman thing, one of the questions I have, and something that's going to make it abundantly clear whether it's a prequel or a reboot, is who they cast to be Alfred and Commissioner Gordon. Because if they don't cast people that at least bear some sort of resemblance or can convincingly be a younger version of Jeremy Irons and J.K. Simmons, then it's totally going to make people think this is a complete reboot, that this is going to be like Batman Begins all over again, where we're forgetting what came before and we're starting from scratch. And my feelings on that have evolved, specifically when it comes to the issue of Simmons and Irons. Because on the one hand, I want the Batman to be a prequel. You know, I, I want to, I don't want to start from scratch. I don't want to disavow that BVS and Justice League happened. I think there's a way to have it so that those things still happen, but they're kind of in the rearview mirror and we just kind of move on from here. I don't want to just act like they never happened. On top of that, I love the Irons and Simmons, you know, versions of the characters. And I was looking forward to seeing more of Simmons in particular. 
And don't even get me started on how bummed I am that we're never going to get to really build on the wonderful chemistry between Irons and Affleck that they had in BVS. But when I think about this, I find myself starting to change on it. I'm starting to feel like they should just recast Alfred and Commissioner Gordon and not necessarily try to make, you know, try to hire actors who resemble or call to mind Irons and Simmons. And the reason being, I think it'll clip the wings off whoever they cast as Batman. Because then they'll just be looked at as like Batman Jr. And they'll be looked at, all right, so that's just prequel Batman. But current Batman is Ben Affleck. Yeah, I think that's what's going to happen in the mind. It'll confuse audience members. If you got a new Bruce, but you have the same Simmons, you know, the, the same Alfred and the same Commissioner Gordon. And you're going to kind of limit that, that bat actor's potential to make the character and make this whole world their own. Because everyone's going to instantly look at them and associate them with, oh, okay, so this guy grows up to be Ben Affleck. You know what I mean? So a part of me wonders now if, you know, since they are kind of retconning things on the fly and things are kind of loosey-goosey with what they keep and what they discard, you know, I'm starting to come around to the idea that as much as I loved Irons and Simmons in those two iconic Bat roles, it might be time to just completely, you know, if we're, re if we're recasting Batman, which we clearly are, then let's also give him a full new set of supporting players. I don't know if that's controversial to anyone, but I really think, you know, it, it'll, it'll only harm this movie and it'll harm this new actor's opportunity to make this world their own if they're basically you know, existing within Ben Affleck's confines of the character. If, they, if he's wearing the same suit, all that stuff, then he's just going to be looked at as Ben Affleck Jr. And we don't want that. We want this guy to become the Batman for a generation. So just kind of wanted to share that. Uh, specifically with the 90s, by the way, it's interesting, right? Because Captain Marvel was set in the 90s. Dark Phoenix the, the, you know, for all intents and purposes, the final mainline X-Men franchise from Fox before it gets rebooted is set in the 90s. And now the Batman may very well be set in the 90s. And, you know, I, I think it's, it's important to note, though, that based on Reeves' track record and, you know, kind of what a high-minded sort of serious filmmaker he is, you know, I wouldn't expect this to be like a 90s period piece. I don't think we're going to get gags about 90s fashion in this movie. We're not going to have a some sort of like ham-fisted, nostalgic soundtrack of pop songs from the 90s. <clears throat> Captain Marvel. Uh, you know, we're not going to have that in the Batman. It'll just be vaguely set in that time. You'll notice the vehicles look older. You'll notice, you know, but it's not going to be like, hey, everyone, it's 1997 and let's focus on that a lot. You know, it's, it's, it's more of just like a, a peripheral detail as opposed to something that completely kind of, you know, takes over the narrative. So when you hear the stuff about Batman's, you know, Batman in the 90s, don't think of it as Batman's going to be a, a period piece. More so, it's just it's a story that happens to take place in this era. And who knows, that, that, that probably helps, by the way. I've been thinking about that a lot, where with the advent of technology... And with the way everything is now, everything, you know, we have GPSs on our phones and we have instant access to all of the collected community, you know, <laughs> all the collected information and knowledge of thousands of years of human existence now exist in our pockets in these little supercomputers. So 
I think about that a lot because if you're someone who's trying to write like a detective story or a mystery and you need your characters to have limited resources and to, you know, it's got to be hard to set things in the present. You know what I mean? That's why certain like older, that's why projects set in the past really kind of work because things, if you go back another generation, things were so different. You know what I mean? That's why like when you look at Stranger Things and you see like, look at all these kids riding around on bikes and not being terrified of the world and not having to be on there and not texting each other all the time or being on Snapchat when they're hanging out. You know, they had to go to the 80s to make sure that we could show these pure kids being pure with one another, having a good time without without, you know, all the technology, without all the stuff that would, you know, they would probably have a lot of their answers a lot quicker. And nowadays, you know, talk about that, no one would get lost anymore. If you think about it, nowadays, if you need to have a character get lost, you also have to write an excuse for where their phone is. Because if you have your phone on you, anyone can find you now. So I just find that interesting in terms of, you know, sometimes as a, it helps your story. If you're trying to build tension, if you're trying to have a lead character that doesn't have a ton of resources, it, it behooves you to move it to a period of time before we had all this technology, which would create all these plot holes. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> all right, so I'm pausing here because I, I, I'm hesitant to share a theory because uh, whatever, people take things too seriously sometimes. So please, I'm about to share something that's been on my mind. And since we're in this zone right now about Batman and the 90s and this and that. I want to share with you just something that's a complete and utter fan fantasization of mine. This is not, this doesn't come from a source. This doesn't come from any kind of official channel. So please don't anyone read too much into this. But I've got this weird theory, okay? The longer they take to announce the Elseworlds banner of films, for the Joker. Remember, that's the, the, we were told the Joker was set in a different universe. It's a completely standalone experience. has nothing to do with anything else, right? That's what, sort of how they explained it in the beginning. But publicly speaking, they have yet to announce this. They have yet to go, hey, everyone, here is a complete alternate DC world that has nothing to do with what you've seen before. This is a standalone, self-enclosed story. They haven't done that yet. And the movie comes out in like eight months. So unless they do it soon, I'm starting to feel like there's a possibility that they found a way to connect the Matt Reeves Batman and the Todd Phillips Joker. Remember, I said they're retconning stuff, right? So maybe they're going to retcon or they're going to act like there have been multiple Jokers. I've said this before many, many months ago. But to me, like it's, it's, it's becoming harder and harder to ignore this idea, especially when you hear about this 90s stuff. Because when is the Joker set? The Joker is set in the 80s. And we've already found out that it's going to feature a young Bruce Wayne, a kid Bruce Wayne. They hired Dante Pereira Olsen to play him, to play him which, by the way, that was a Revenge of the Fans exclusive scoop. Uh, but yeah, they hired Dante Pereira Olsen to be in the film to play a young Bruce Wayne. And if we're going to now just do the math, if Bruce Wayne is a kid in the 80s, he would be an adult 
maybe a young adult, but he'd be an adult in the 90s. So it depends on like how old he, you know, if he's like, I don't know how old he's meant to be in the Joker. And I don't know exactly where in the 80s it falls. But if we have an adult Joker, we have a kid Bruce Wayne, and this is like a Joker origin story, then it stands to reason that that kid in this continuity, unless they've totally tweaked the rules, that kid is going to grow up to be his nemesis, Batman, in about, you know, 15 years, depending on how old he is in the movie. So when you think of that and you think about, okay, well, that kid in the Joker is going to be a Batman one day and probably in the late 90s or so. And then you start hearing Reeves is about a younger Batman, potentially also in the 90s. It's hard to not have your imagination go, hmm. Did they figure out some way? Did they change the plan midway? Did they, you know, did some meeting take place and Todd Phillips called up Matt Reeves and they found a way to make this work? I honestly, I don't know. And please, this is not like a rumor anyone should be running. I'm definitely not going to write about it. This is just, we're having fun. We're being fans. We're having a good time. So let's not take this stuff too seriously. But I'd love to know what you guys think of that. Because the possibility of it, I think, is exciting. Because in all honesty, I'm sort of bummed that the Joker is a standalone. Because you got an actor of Joaquin Phoenix's caliber, who's probably, you know, from, from, for all, by all accounts, he's creating an iconic Joker performance here with this movie. So the idea of now, like, we're going to get attached to this version of the Joker, and we're going to be wowed by Joaquin Phoenix's performance only to have to just say goodbye to him once the credits roll and never see him again, that's a bummer. You know what I mean? To me, that's 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 like, ah, oh, I, I would want to see where that goes. Unless they kill him off or something, which I guess that's one way they could really hit the point home. That, guys, this is not the main Joker. This guy died. This is separate. You know, that's one way to do it. But if they don't kill him off, can you imagine, like, the, the way you're going to feel when the credits roll and you're like, I just spent two hours being entertained and riveted and intrigued by this whole new sort of pocket universe. And now I'll never get to see more of it. You know, so listen, we'll see. But there's a part of me that, like I said, it's finding it harder and harder to shut off that logical part of my brain that says, no, Mario, there's no way that can happen. I'm starting to feel like maybe it is happening. I don't know, but we'll see. Um, but now circling back for a second. Because, you know, I, I made a reference to ham-fisted, you know, nostalgic soundtracks, right? While talking about the 90s. And, you know, it got me thinking about nostalgia in general. And I think nostalgia gets a bad rap. I think it's become a four-letter word. And I don't think people are right. You know, I, I don't think people are right in being so cruel and so angry about anything that is nostalgic. Because when you really think about it, nostalgia, it's a wonderful tool that the mind has. You know, your brain, your imagination has this wonderful way of when you see something that reminds you of the good old days, when you see something that reminds you of something you loved as a kid, it reminds you of the joy of that. It reminds you of the happiness you felt at that time. And when you think about it, the older you get, the more disillusioned in life you tend to become. I'm not trying to be cynical here or, or pessimistic, but you know, 
the, the, the promise and excitement you have towards life as a kid slowly gets beaten out of you the older you get. Sorry, spoiler alert for those of you who were younger. I'm 35. I can tell you. <laughs> it, life has a way of letting you know, listen, it's not necessarily what you think it's going to be. So you got to make the most of what it is. But the more that happens, the more you kind of almost subconsciously long to revisit a simpler time, revisit a time before you had to pay rent, before you had to, you know, before you had bills and mortgages and rent to pay and, and retirements to, to build towards and have kids to raise and partners to be with and, you know, all this sort of stuff. Before we all got involved in all of that stuff, when we were just kids taking in entertainment, playing, using our imagination, not having a care in the world, that's when life was undoubtedly better. So when a movie or a song or a TV show is able to transport you back to a time when you were happier, what's wrong with that? You know what I mean? That's, that's one of the reasons you watch something. You, you, you watch a movie or you, you engage in any bit of entertainment because a part of you wants an escape and a part of you wants to feel good. Well, you want to step out of your current trappings and be taken to some other place. So if a filmmaker employs a tool that helps you do that and reminds you of a time when you were happier, that's not something to be upset about. You know, nostalgia is actually, it's a beautiful thing. It can be misused. It can be used to manipulate your emotions. And there are filmmakers and there are editors and there are studios out there who will play on your nostalgia and basically use that to gloss over the fact that the movie's not that good. But as long as, you know, you're hitting all your pleasure zones and thinking about the past, you might not, you know, you might not notice how flawed the movie is. So that is bad. When a filmmaker or a studio just injects nostalgia for the sake of trying to grease the wheels, kind of like what Joss Whedon did with Justice League with, you know, bringing in Danny Elfman and the old Batman theme and the old Superman theme, that was all a way to try to like disguise and mask what was going on with the movie. You know, they didn't want you to, you know, they felt like, you know what, as long as you're being reminded of all these things you used to love, like the old Superman movies and the old Batman movies and yada, 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 and the, the, uh, the Hall of Justice and all that sort of stuff, as long as you're focusing on that, you might, you know, not focus so much on Henry Cavill's upper lip or the fact that Steppenwolf's plot is completely one-dimensional now. And that, you know, it just, nostalgia was used almost cynically in Justice League. And that I do agree with, you know, we should sort of decry that. But then, you know, when you look at a movie like Ready Player One, and I, I went on a long Twitter thing about this last week, because people love to throw crap on them. People who've never seen it love to throw crap on that movie just based on the trailers, because they see, oh, it's got, you know, uh, the Iron Giant, and it's got Mortal Kombat characters, and it's got Back to the Future. Oh, this looks like lazy filmmaking 101. Steven Spielberg is now just become such a lazy filmmaker and storyteller. And, you know, that, that's, that, that's like the big knock on that movie. But really, what's interesting is that the movie's not terribly nostalgic. Because it doesn't actually include the Iron Giant. It doesn't actually include, like, the real DeLorean from Back to the Future. It's, it's commenting on people who are obsessed with nostalgia. It's commenting on people who only want to live 
in those positive memories because the real world has become so dark and so bleak that they'd rather put on you know glasses and uh, and uh, haptic suits to try to imagine they're anywhere else where they're happier than here. So that's what the movie's really about. And at the end, it wraps up with that. You know, I'm not going to like spoil it for those of you who maybe haven't seen it yet. But overall, the message that you're left with is it's important to disconnect. It's important to take the goggles off and be where your feet are and to build healthy relationships with those around you and to participate in making the world a better place as opposed to just running away from the world. That's what the movie's about. And yet you have these people who now, because nostalgia is this evil thing, they see some old characters in a trailer and they instantly assume, they instantly write it off. And that's why to me, you know, Ready Player One is is emblematic of how we've turned nostalgia into a four-letter word. And I don't think that's fair. I don't think nostalgia is a bad thing. Anything that, that can remind me of when things were better and easier, I'll take it. So just keep that in mind. Nostalgia is not a bad thing, okay? It is when they kind of throw a Nirvana song in the middle of a scene in Captain Marvel that has nothing to do with anything. But, again, <laughs> I don't know why I'm throwing so much trash at Captain Marvel lately. I don't know, the, the movie's just, like, not... Uh, it's not aging so hot for me. You know, I saw it opening night. It's only been, what? It's been, I don't know, a week, two, almost two weeks. But I, I found the movie to be pretty flawed and pretty hollow. And, you know, it is what it is. But uh, I digress. Guys, ease up on your hatred for nostalgia. It's not a bad thing, okay? Um, now, there's something else interesting going on, right? Zack Snyder is hosting an event this weekend calling you know, the, the Director's Cuts, and he's showing the Director's Cut of Dawn of the Dead tonight. He's showing the director's cut of Watchmen tomorrow, and he's showing the director's cut of Batman v Superman Ultimate Edition on Sunday. He's going to be having some old, you know, special guests come on for Q and A's after the screenings and so on. And there's a lot of excitement around this, right? Because there's this sense of like, well, maybe this has something to do with the Snyder Cut, right? Um, and all I'll say is this: like, nothing would surprise me. You know, I don't necessarily have any, you know, inside knowledge about this weekend. I have little scraps of information, little whispers, little crazy things that I've heard from colleagues over the course of the last eight months. Things that have led me to believe that there could be something pretty cool on the horizon, whether it's this weekend or in general. But I'm not getting my hopes up. All I really feel about this weekend is... I'm excited for it, and let's see what happens. Absolutely nothing would surprise me at this point. Um, and, you know, I'm doing my little bit to support and to be a, sort of a part of that because I ordered the shirt that, you know, that, that that's part of, like, the fundraiser for this event. Uh, it's called like, Ink to the People, and it's for a cause. It's a fundraiser to help renovate the auditorium where they're showing the, uh, the movies, and, you know, it's a cause I believe in, and the, the artwork on it is really cool. So I, I did my part. I'm pitching in. I'm showing some support to the cause. I can't be there because I live in New York, and this is in California. But I'm looking forward to seeing what comes of it. You know, and I've got some people there. I have some friends who will be attending. So any interesting information that comes from the Q&A on Sunday, if anything comes up that's notable, you know I'm going to be talking about it. We're going to write about it on the site next week. 
But uh, yeah, you know, it's exciting. I, and I guess just for, for now, you try to keep your expectations in check. You know, try not to go into this weekend thinking on Sunday, he's going to show a trailer for the Snyder Cut and it's going to be released on Monday. Like, in other words, don't go crazy. Don't go pie in the sky. You know, I feel like if anything comes up about that issue, about that, his experience on Justice League and the status of any kind of, you know, alternate cut, a cut that's closer to what he wanted, I could hear him, you know, referencing it. But I wouldn't expect him to, like, show anything or to make some sort of grand announcement. You know, maybe he will. But for now, it's best to just keep your expectations in check. Okay? Either way, it's exciting for him because with everything that's gone on with the loss of his daughter and all of the drama and all of the ways in which his fans have come out to support him because what happened on Justice League, you know, was really not cool. You know, that whole situation was not cool. Um... It's, it's nice to see him kind of coming out of that. It's nice to hear that Army of the Dead is starting to pick up steam. It's nice to hear that he's having this event here to come celebrate his director's cuts and give his fans a place to come and like celebrate him and his unique vision. I'm happy for him. You know, he's not my particular cup of tea as a filmmaker, but I'm happy that he's moving on. I hope we're all able to move on soon because there really are very exciting things on the horizon. You know, we got Shazam coming up in a couple of weeks, which, by the way, I think it's I think it's such a big deal what's going on with Shazam right now. The buzz around Shazam, because if you pay attention, the buzz, the build to this movie is starting to feel like the build to Aquaman, you know, where they released the you know, they, they, they opened up the social media embargo like almost a month early to allow the press people who've seen it to go on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and YouTube to basically say, this movie is awesome. And that's what's been going on. And now they're also doing the same thing that they did with Aquaman with the early fan screenings. I know people who saw it yesterday. Hey, Isaac Wolf. Uh, Isaac loved it, by the way. And I'm sure he's going to write his full review when it's time. But Isaac got to see it yesterday. I have a few people going on Saturday to go see it. So this is big because the movie doesn't open until April 5th, you know, and if you look at these like red carpet events, there was this thing with Zachary Levi and, and the entire cast were in, I, I don't know where they were two days ago, but they set up like an entire carnival for the red carpet like premiere of the movie out there. And it just, the movie looks like a big, big deal. And I have a feeling it's going to perform like a big time superhero movie, maybe not like a billion dollar earner, but it's such a big deal that this is happening this way for a number of reasons. Because the movie only cost 85 million bucks to make, and that cannot be overlooked at a time when these films usually cost at least double that. Walter Hamada and David F. Sandberg and the, and the Brain Trust, who helped create this film, were able to make it for a responsible, reasonable budget. And you just know that it's going to blow right past that, make all kinds of profit, and probably end up north of 700, north of 800 million bucks. And this is a movie about Shazam, mind you. Like, remember the shock when Aquaman did well? Because for a while there, the knock on Aquaman was that he's goofy and hokey and he talks to fish and all this sort of stuff. And then that became like the biggest DC movie in how long? 
And they're like about to do it again because Shazam, if you think about it, Shazam doesn't exactly have a lot of street cred. You know what I mean? He has his 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 dedicated hardcore fan base. But beyond that, most people look at Shazam or the original Captain Marvel as if he's kind of like a hokey sort of other Superman. You know what I mean? It's kind of like a Superman knockoff, which, you know, whether or not that's fair, we can discuss. But by and large, Shazam has never been seen as this A-list character, this top tier, I must go see a movie about him character. That's why, you know, it's, it's just, it's notable. And that's what makes what's happening right now, all of this buzz, all of this excitement about a character that most people used to laugh off. And for a movie that was made for like a ridiculously low budget, it goes to show you the folks at DC know what they're doing. It goes to show you that Walter Hamada is really bringing in that skill set from New Line Cinema that he, you know, that, that he honed so well working on these horror movies. Where it's like, okay, we will make a horror movie for three million bucks, but we will promote it like it's the biggest, most beautiful, lavish Hollywood production. So then you will come and see it, and you will give us all of your money to do it. And meanwhile, it cost us close to nothing to do it because we sold you on the concept and we were able to squeeze the most out of a little. So it's all gravy. You know, th that was always the new line way of doing things. All the success they've had these last few years with their horror ventures, with their smaller films, it had to do with that. It had to do with making it cheap, packaging it easy to sell, and then making, or making it look really good and getting top tier talent in front of the camera. But then let all the profits roll in because you didn't really spend much to make it. So they, they've officially adapted that to the superhero model. And if Shazam hits the way I expect it to, you know, Hamada is going to be getting high fives until his hands bleed for, for what he's done with Shazam. And what David F. Sandberg was able to do on such a relatively low budget is astounding. So that's why this Shazam stuff is really exciting for me to see the build and the momentum and everyone is excited I have a feeling this thing is going to do phenomenally well. And uh, listen, it's just awesome. Um, and, you know, changing gears a little bit, you know, on the last episode, speaking of things being awesome, by the way, and things, you know, generally enjoying uh, where things are and where things are heading, I, 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 on the last episode, I mentioned to you guys that it's important to, to put your energy or at least to pay attention where you put your energy. Are you putting it towards something that, you, that brings you happiness or are you putting it towards something you're upset about and that you're trying to tear down? Because when you do that, you inadvertently can make that thing you're trying to tear down even stronger. Now, I made that point in long form on the last episode, but now to follow up on that, there's a really groovy example of that principle, and it has to do with Revenge of the Fans, and it has to do with this little labor of love we're building here. Because since we last spoke, you know, there's a, there's a person who runs another site, and we're not going to name names, we're not going to get into that, because I'm really not interested in, like, the mudslinging or the Twitter beefs or any of that crap. It's just not, it's not anything I care about nowadays. Um, but this person who's been you know, attacking me for months, and I hear about it from DMs, you know, people send me screen grabs, and did you hear what they said this time? Or isn't it notable that you know, 10 minutes after you tweet something, this person's always got some sort of retort to what you said? 
you know, so people send me this stuff and I just kind of shrug it off. But since we last spoke, there was an instance where this person tried to like shame Revenge of the Fans and tried to come at me personally for my business practices in terms of like, oh, they don't pay their writers and this, this and that. And what's funny about that insult is that I, it's not, it's not an insult. It's just the truth. You know, I, I'm very open and honest with that. I write about it on the site. I talk about it here on the podcast. I talk about it to anyone who applies. I explain, listen, we're, we've only been around for a little over a year. We're still kind of in that building phase. And right now there's not, you know, we're not generating the kind of revenue where we can be paying a whole staff. So if you're coming on, you know, it's, 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 I'm, I'm happy to give you a platform. I'm happy to help spread your, your good word and your passion for the things that you're a fan of. I'm here to give you that platform, but I can't pay you monetarily for now. I'm not even getting paid my, listen, I put in full-time hours every week. I put in roughly 40 hours a week into Revenge of the Fans and these podcasts and all I get are like the little bit of Patreon that we have and the little bit of Google revenue, which is really not much. So I'm very open and honest about that stuff. And that's why we're doing everything we can to turn this around. That's why the Patreon, you know, we're doing more for the Patreon. That's why we're offering more content and more podcasts and more articles every day and more features and all that sort of stuff because we're trying to turn this into something that is a full-on money-making enterprise. So I've never hidden from that fact. I've never run from the fact that I'm just not, I don't have the infrastructure in place to have a paid staff right now. I'm very open and honest with that. But this person brought that up in an attempt to shame me and to belittle or to, you know, talk, whatever the case may be. But what happened? Within a day of him going there, going for that sort of low blow, I got six more applications for people who want to write to the site. And now my staff has more than doubled. So you know what? Keep on talking trash. <laughs> oh, listen, I'm just, I'm just being playful. It's, you know, it's just, it's just evident. It, it, it's, it's, the proof is in the pudding, folks. Put your energy towards the things you love, towards the things that make you happy, towards the things that bring you joy, because then it really is rewarding. Because when you go after someone, all you're really doing is giving them power. All you're doing is saying, hey, you are taking up a lot of real estate in my brain. And it's like, do you want these people or these entities or these things that you don't care for to feel like, wow, I'm taking up a lot of real estate in that person's brain? Like, do you want that? And do you want to get more people talking about that person or that entity or that endeavor? You know, so that's why I just, I, 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 I'm so grateful for the growth of Revenge of the Fans. No matter which way it came, no matter what it took, right now, this week has been it's, it's, been the, it's been like a dream come true because my daily news writing staff has more than doubled. I've got someone now who does features for us. Um, we have a whole new infrastructure now inside because we have a whole staff to worry about. It's not just me and a couple of other people. Now it's like 
a bunch of us and there's a whole new workflow and there's a whole new way in which we're approaching this much more professionally, much more like we're, you know, we're, we're coming out guns blazing. And there's a lot of really exciting stuff coming up this year because of the people that I'm enlisting and because of the people who are volunteering their time because they believe in Revenge of the Fans and they believe in me and they believe in you, this community that we're building here. And like, that's why I think about, of all things, I think about Obi-Wan Kenobi in episode four. I think about what he says right before he allows Vader to kill him. He says, if you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. So that's why when people kind of come at me and they talk all kinds of smack and there's all this stuff that people mention to me, people, hey, did you hear what so-and-so said or did you hear what they're saying on Reddit or did you hear whatever? That's why I just kind of like, I don't go there. I don't go there. Let other people talk. Let other people attempt to strike me down or, or belittle me or demean me. That's, that's how they want to spend their time. What I'd rather spend time doing is moving towards my joy, pursuing the things I love, pursuing the things that bring me happiness. So that's why I'm sorry. I know sometimes people want me to come out swinging, but that's just not my style. At least not anymore. I used to be. I used to be way feistier. I used to be way ready to kind of get down there in the mud and roll up my sleeves and go after you. But nowadays, I just life's too short and I'd rather be happy and fighting with people. Does it make me happy? Um, with that in mind, you know, there is a performer who I've been on a bender on, you know, following them now for the last like three or four weeks. And if you've listened to the Revengers podcast, you've heard me speak about it. But I want to speak about it here because it's important. And sometimes on this show, you know, I do try to share stuff with you that's not just geeky stuff, right? And, you know... We all know, or maybe you don't know, maybe, you know, if, you, if, you, if you've forgotten, my sign-off at the end of this show, what I always say, life is chaos, be kind, that comes from comedian Patton Oswalt, and it's based on, a, you know, a recurring conversation he used to have with his now late wife, and I found that very encouraging and very simple, and it's words to live by, and that's why I, you know, I sign off with life is chaos, be kind. But now there's another comedian, believe it or not, from all of, 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 of all the unlikely places. I keep finding these wonderful pearls of wisdom from people who are comedians, who we tend to write off as, oh, you're just here to tell jokes. But there are good ones out there who want to make you laugh, but also want to make you think and who want to spread good, positive vibes. And that, that person I've been dancing around is Pete Holmes. Pete Holmes has his own HBO series called Crashing. He's a very successful stand-up comic. He was known for years for doing the like some Batman spoofs where he ran around pretending to be Christian Bale, and those are very big on like Funny or Die, and he was also big on college humor back in the day. And I've been basically just binging all his stuff for weeks now because there's something he says in one of his first HBO specials that really struck a chord with me. And it's this idea of the joy quota. And in essence, he starts off by pointing out, I'll, I'll tell you the actual quote. He says, I've recalibrated my brain to reward me for the things I am doing, not the things I could be doing. He also said, love yourself for what you are doing, not what you could be doing. Same thing, but I, I think that's so important. I think that's so important. I think over time, life has a way of 
programming you to dangle a carrot in front of yourself and put your happiness on hold until you reach that carrot. You know, oh, I'll love myself when I get that job. Oh, I'll be happy when I'm in a relationship. Or, you know, I'll be happy when I retire at 65 because then I won't have to do this anymore and I'll have my retirement account and whatever the case may be. You know, we all tend to kind of put our happiness and our joy on hold and we kind of just make it as this thing that you have to build towards. But the older you get, the more you realize you're not guaranteed tomorrow. You're not guaranteed anything. Life is short. Life is chaos. So each day you should be moving towards the things that you love. You should be doing what Pete Holmes says. He, he refers to as cashing happy checks. You know, what's something that you could give yourself? What's a happy check that you can cash that brings yourself joy now, as opposed to just something you can look forward to in the future? Like for me right now, the happy checks I'm cashing are Red Dead Redemption 2. I've been playing that a lot and it's been just an awesome escape and I do it every night and I'm probably tired. I probably have bags under my eyes because of the amount of Red Dead Redemption 2 I've been playing. But you know what? It's something I give myself. At the end of the day, after a day of being editor-in-chief guy and being dad guy and husband guy and DJ guy and singer in the band guy and all these things that I'm doing where like, I, I, you know, I'm doing stuff for everyone else to a certain extent or, you know, with others in mind. Red Dead Redemption is that little thing I do for myself at the end of the night that, that I get to look forward to that's just for me. It's not for anyone else. It's just for me. That's the happy check that I'm cashing these days. And Pete Holmes with that idea of the joy quota and the cashing the happy checks and emphasizing be happy with what you are doing as opposed to what you could be doing, it really speaks to me. And so if you are interested in checking him out, you know, he has Crashing on HBO. He has a couple of comedy specials on HBO. He has a ton of stuff on YouTube. But I find Pete Holmes to be a very interesting guy. And now I'm like a super fan. And now I'm going to start checking out his podcast. And the next time he plays in New York, myself and my wife and Brett and his girlfriend Joyce, uh, you know, um, Jesse, Jesse Joyce, uh, we want to go and see him live together. I think that would be pretty awesome. And I just kind of want to just kind of share that because I feel like I've just discovered him, even though he's been out for years. So for some of you, this might be old news, how awesome Pete Holmes is, but I'm just discovering it. So I just want to share it with you guys because, you know, I just, I love the way he approaches this. I love the way he, he, he comes to this idea of comedy, of trying to find the joy and the humor in life because you gotta, you know, listen, this past week, I spent a lot of time in a hospital. You know, visiting my abuela and seeing sick people and being in the ER and seeing people at real dark, dire straits, people dealing with unimaginable challenges and hurdles. I've, I've been around a lot of pain and a lot of anguish and a lot of confusion lately. And when you're there, when you're at a hospital, seeing all these people go through all this stuff, it makes you look at your life and go, you know what? I really don't have it that bad. You know, there are things in my life that are awesome and I need to emphasize those. I need to lean into those and really be grateful for the fact that I have those things because there are people out there who just, it's all gone in the snap of a finger. You never know what's going to happen from one day to the next. 
Life is filled with ups and downs and all this other tumultuous stuff. So for me, like being at the hospital and seeing all of this just really humbling stuff that people have to deal with, all this illness, all this sickness, all this injury, all of this concern, all of this drama. And suddenly I come home and I'm not so stressed about, okay, I got to do the dishes tonight. You know, because you know what? I get to do the dishes tonight. It's a gift, you know? So anyway, I just, I, I wanted to share that with you. I've been meaning to talk about that. I wanted to talk about it last week on Friday, but I didn't get to do the show last week. So I've been waiting all, you know, for about a week and a half now, really, to tell you about Pete Holmes and the joy quota and the happy checks and all that stuff, because I think it's very, very salient advice. And I think it's something that we could all use some of on a given day being able to look at where we're at and what we are doing and celebrate that and to do more to move towards what we enjoy. I think it's a, I think it's a good way to live. So, um, folks, I hope you enjoyed episode 91 of the Fanboy Podcast. I will be back next week with the Revengers Pod and we'll have episode 92 of the Fanboy Podcast and we're kind of slowly building up towards episode 100, which I'm very much looking forward to. For now, keep checking out Revenge of the Fans. Welcome all the newbies. There's a lot of fresh content, fresh writers contributing every day now. The site is really starting to take off. We have, we've had a ton of scoop confirmations lately, which is really cool. Some fun features for you guys. And uh, it's just, it's a really exciting time and in so many different ways. And I hope that you're acknowledging that and that you're seeing that and that you're taking a moment to take, you know, to, to really take in how good things are if you really look at them a certain way. So until next week, folks, life is chaos. Be kind. Adios. Thank you.